have a unique set of talents and gifts that bring you joy when you use them. But that's only half of their purpose. God can also use them for His will. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains how the musical talents of young David not only soothed the king, but were used by God for a higher purpose. Listen now as David introduces the conclusion of Saul's moods and David's music. Well, it's a wonderful thing to be teaching the life of David, and our resource for the month of June is so integrated into this study because David, who was the author of the Psalms, which is the music of the Old Testament, um, is is part of this resource, and his son Solomon is the other part. Uh, David wrote the Psalms, and when we read the Psalms, we learn how to know and love and relate to God. His son Solomon wrote Proverbs, and when we read Proverbs, we learn how to relate to one another, how to deal with problems. Uh, uh, Proverbs is an incredibly encouraging and instructive book. So here's David and his son. One writes the Psalms, one writes the Proverbs. The Psalms relate to God. The Proverbs help us relate to one another. So we've taken... All of David's writing and the writing of Solomon, his son, for the book of Proverbs, and we've packaged it together in a beautiful devotional book called The Focus Life. And uh, here's how it works. Every day you read five Psalms, that's David, and one chapter from Proverbs, that's his son Solomon. And you do that every day for a month, and you will read the whole book of Psalms and the whole book of Proverbs. And many people do this every month because the reoccurring impact of those two books on your heart is overwhelming. We'd like to make that possible for you by sending you this beautiful leather-covered, gold-embossed copy of these two books from the Bible bound together in a book for you to read every day. We've called it The Focus Life, and it's our way of saying thank you for your gift at Turning Point during the month of June. One of our best resources ever. We hope you'll take advantage of it this month and get your copy. Send a gift, and when you do, simply ask for your copy of The Focused Life. Here is part two of Saul's Moods and David's Music. Well, this intruding spirit came now to take up the place where God's spirit once had been. And literally what the text says is that this evil spirit was terrorizing Saul. Notice, but the spirit of the Lord departed and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him, troubled him. Now the word there is a word which means to overwhelm him. It sounds like uh, Saul would be going along doing everything all right and then he would just be overwhelmed with his evil spirit. It would just come upon him at the most unexpected times and he would be filled with terror and depression and discouragement. Robert Browning has written a poem about Saul and pictures him in his dark tent, leaning up against the tent pole, and the picture is one of demonic uh, dimensions in many respects. It shows the blackness and the cloud of depression that comes over this man. It's like what we say sometimes when we talk about something we do that we shouldn't do. We say, well, I don't know, something just came over me. Well, this happened to Saul over and over again. This dark spirit came over him, and he was depressed. It wasn't rejection. It wasn't necessarily what you and I today might call depression. It was almost like a demonic possession. And the people who were close to Saul recognized something was wrong with him. 
For we read in verse 15 that Saul's servants initiated the conversation and they came to him and said, you have an evil spirit from God troubling you. You have a problem, Saul. So they make, after we have the intruding spirit, they make an interesting suggestion. Notice verses 15 through 17. Verse 16, they said, Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. I'd just like to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer out loud. Did they give Saul good advice? Think about it for a moment. Was that sound counsel on the part of the servants? Saul, what you need is you need a musician to come in and soothe your spirit. Well, as we get to the end of the chapter, we will discover that God used that to refresh Saul. That's true. But was that really what Saul needed? Did Saul need to be refreshed or did Saul need to repent? It seems to me that what they should have said to him had they been godly counselors would have been something like this. They should have said, since it's an evil spirit in you from the Lord, why don't you make peace with God and repent? Why don't you call Samuel to come and pray with you, Saul? Why don't you get right with God? Why don't you deal with the source of the evil spirit and it'll go away? Deal with the source of discouragement and depression. Take care of the reason for the dark cloud and then you will be all right. But it sounds to me like those servants were like uh, humanistic counselors of today, which tell us, don't deal with your problem. Just do what you can to, so it doesn't hurt so much. <laughs> don't make the problem go away. Just sort of cover it up with some assuaging truth. Or as many have tried today, find the answer in a bottle or in drugs or in some other exotic way of dealing with the pain. Well, they discovered that one of the ways they could deal with the pain of depression in Saul's life was to get a musician. And so they suggested, let's find somebody who's really good, who's a skillful player. Let's find somebody who can come in and play the harp. Now, I must stop here for a moment and debunk this story from a common conception we have. I've actually seen pictures of David uh, seated on a little stool with his legs straddling the harps that you and I know today. And I've often wondered how in the world he drugged that thing around the hillsides of Bethlehem. Seems to me that would have been rather cumbersome. But it wasn't like that at all. Actually, the word in the text is not the word harp. It's the word lyre, L-Y-R-E. It's a common instrument in the Old Testament, and it was a very interesting instrument. It was made, uh, believe it or not, out of the small intestine of a sheep and they would take that and stretch it out over a piece of wood that had an empty place in it and attach it to a bracket at the end. And then they would stretch the strings to different tautness and they would play on those strings with their fingers. So we have the interesting suggestion and then now we have the inspired selection. Who did they select? They selected David. And I want you to note the resume that was his in verse 18. If you could file a resume like verse 18, you would be rich indeed. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, a mighty valiant man and a man of war, prudent in matters and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now, there are actually six statements about David in that verse, and there are probably five qualifications in the six statements. 
First of all, the Bible says he was a skillful musician. You may wonder why it's important that those two words go together. But I want to remind you, he's being called to play for the king. And if you're going to play for the king, you have to be good. You can't be finding your notes. You can't be trying to figure out what string to pluck at what time. If you're going to play for the king and not cause him to be more depressed than he was before you played, you have to be good. And so they looked for a skillful person. I just can't help but remind you, all of you who minister in the things of music, that we always play for the king. And God expects us to do our best. He's not asking us to be perfect, and surely God knows if we have done our best and we sing a wrong note or play a wrong note. He will accept that as from a heart of love and devotion. But I am afraid that far too often in the Church of Jesus Christ, we forget that we are playing for the King, and anything will do. I have actually heard people say, well, you need to understand, it's just the Church. I thank God for the commitment to excellence he has put within the heart of our minister of music and all the people that work with him to be committed to understand that when we play or when we sing, it is for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So they looked for a skillful musician. Then secondly, they said that this man that was going to come to the palace was a strong warrior. There are two phrases that describe it. He was a mighty man of valor and a man of war. The mighty man of valor probably grew out of David's reputation as a stalwart young man who fought off bears and lions by himself. In the 17th chapter, he gives testimony to the fact that he took on a lion and a bear all by himself, and he won. A historian that I read this week has an interesting insight into the second phrase, that he was a man of war. This historian said that the Philistines who challenged the Israelites in the person of Goliath in the valley were also carrying on numerous border incidents around Palestine and that they would come into Palestine and raid and it is quite possible that David may have been caused to defend himself against one of the raiding Philistine parties while he was out in the field with his sheep. And he became known as somebody you don't want to mess with. He was a mighty man of valor and a man of war. So he was a skillful musician and a strong warrior. Notice, thirdly, he was a shrewd speaker. That's exactly what the phrase means. He was prudent in matters. Literally, it means he was able to say the right thing at the right time. He wouldn't embarrass you with his tongue. Boy, if you're going to have somebody standing in the presence of the king, he needs to be somebody who is shrewd in his speaking, who will say the right thing at the right time. David was the kind of a person who wouldn't embarrass you with his mouth. Have you ever been around people who have the ability to say the right thing at the wrong time? or the wrong thing at the right time? Oh, it is embarrassing to be around people like that because you never know what is going to come out and you never know what to do when they say it. David wasn't like that. He was a man who was prudent in matters. He was shrewd as a speaker. The next phrase in his resume that qualified him to stand before the king says that he was a comely person. That means he was a sharp guy. He was a sharp personality. If you want to capture all that's involved in that phrase, I don't know how to say it any better. Somebody said, tell me about David. And I say, David is a sharp guy. 
He is a sharp guy. Well, you say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean that David is the kind of person who has this magnetism about him. We call it charisma in the first message. Dr. F.B. Meyer, in his book on David, kind of brings all of this together with this wonderful statement. He says, he was David the Beloved. Wherever he moved, he cast the spell of his personal magnetism. Saul yielded to it and thawed out. The servants of the royal household loved him. Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. The soul of Jonathan was knit with his soul. The women of Israel forgot their loyalty to Saul as they sounded the praises of the young hero who was so goodly to look upon. The wild, rough soldiers were willing to risk their lives in order to gratify his wish for a drink from Bethlehem's well. So he passed through life, swaying the scepter of irresistible potency over men and women. That was David. He had a magnetism about him. You couldn't be in his presence without knowing this person is unique. So as they reviewed the qualities of this man, that he was skillful in music, a strong warrior, a shrewd speaker, a sharp person, and then lastly, the most important of all, a spiritual man and a godly man. I don't know what there was about David that recommended his godliness to this young servant, but it was quite apparent that David was different. He was godly. Say, David was a man after God's heart, and we learned what it means to be a man after God's heart. It means to have the heart that God has. And I wonder sometimes as I read about David's reputation, what kind of reputation we have. Do people know us as godly people? Do those who watch us in the things we do observe us, and when they have opportunity to give testimony, say, yeah, I know him. He's a godly man. I've said that about people. I don't think there's a higher compliment that you can pay to a person than to be able to say of that person, he's a godly person. She's a godly person. They have a spiritual quality that recommends them. And may I take the liberty to join together the first and the last qualities for just a moment because we're talking about music. May I suggest to you that the only really skillful musicians in the eyes of God are those who are godly people in the process. It seems to me that that note needs to be struck today because in the Christian entertainment world, which passes for the music world, there seems to me to be an awful lot going on that doesn't put those two together. We have forgotten what it means to encourage and we have replaced it with entertainment. And we have forgotten what it means to be godly in our ministry and in our demeanor. And we have taken over the position of the showman in the Christian world. We have many, many musicians who cross this platform over the months and the years of our ministry. I want to say to you men and women that there is an immediately a difference between them. You can tell within just a short time where these people are coming from. There's a group uh, that like to come to a church and take your platform over for a short time so they can do their thing at your expense. They don't care about anything except you've given them your platform. They're going to do what they want to do while they're there, hope for a good offering, and go their way. And then there are other people who come. Tell us what you want. Let us be a part of the ministry that you're having. 
And their spirit is one of submission and godliness and one of ministry. They have brought skillful music and spirituality together. And when that happens, that ministers to the body of Christ. And those are the kind of people you want to have coming back over and over again. Well, the inspired selection now becomes the insignificant servant. Notice verses 19 and 20. Wherefore... Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. I don't have time to talk about this much except that is a strange sight, isn't it? Here is this young boy who's already been anointed as king. He's on his way down to see Saul where he's going to serenade him away from his uh, depression. And the best that Jesse could send was this little humble gift, a donkey with a bottle of wine and some bread. He's on his journey, and God has chosen David. Not only has he chosen him, he's already anointed him. He is not going to be king in the eyes of God. He is king. God's already rejected Saul. He's already accepted David. But before David can take the throne... He is demonstrating again how the Lord loves to prove that he is not into the mighty things, he's into the weak things. He's not into the significant things, he loves to take the insignificant, that no flesh may glory in his presence. Now note the intriguing solution. Verses 21 through 23 says that when David came to Saul and stood before him, that Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And then Saul sent back to Jesse and he said, let David stand before me and let him stay with me for he's found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand and Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. Let me just point out two or three things in these verses before we close. Would you notice that here is the king in waiting, David, And the scripture says that he came to stand before Saul. And the phrase stand before means, in fact, in my Bible, it's in the margin, that David came and reported for service to Saul. Here is the king who is about to be crowned, but not yet. And he comes and stands before Saul, and he says, reporting for duty, sir. Isn't that a incongruent picture the leader serving the king standing before the king and the Bible says that when he ministered to Saul and served him watch carefully that Saul loved David and I am reminded that there is always that relationship between a servant and those he serves It ought to be so in the church of Jesus Christ that when we serve one another, we build a bond of love between one another. That's the greatest way to express love in the body is through service. That's why Jesus taught the disciples the foot washing ceremony. To teach them that they are never greater than when they stoop to minister to one another's needs. And David is teaching us that lesson. That as he stood before Saul reporting for duty, he caused God to knit Saul's heart to him. And they became close in their relationship. Love grows out of ministry. David walking around with the armor of Saul as his armor bearer. 
had with him close at hand his harp. And when Saul would get depressed, when the evil spirit from the Lord would come upon him and he would begin to feel that whatever it was coming over him, David began to skillfully stroke the strings until, as the scripture says, Saul was refreshed. And the word refreshed there literally means he breathed easy. It seems to me that there are two things that are stamped all over this chapter we have read today. Things that we can't get away from no matter how hard we try. It seems to me, first of all, that this chapter has a very strong thing to say to us about music. It tells us that the ministry to misery is music. God uses music to minister to hearts, and he uses it in a very wonderful way to bring healing and refreshment. And we've talked about that to some degree. Here's a wonderful picture of how music can be used of God to minister to the needs and the hearts of men and women. And I would like to take just a moment to remind you that God uses a lot of different kinds of music to minister to a lot of different kinds of people. I don't know what David played on the harp, but I would imagine if we could hear it today, some of us wouldn't like it. And some of us might even think it isn't godly. And some of us might say, we aren't having that in this church anymore. Let me suggest one last enduring lesson from this chapter. The training for leading is serving. Isn't it interesting that David was selected king? (laughs) It was really interesting that God selected David king while he was a shepherd. And there was no leadership institute for David to attend. There wasn't any place where he could go to learn how to be a king. And I want to tell you something. You don't learn how to be a king chasing sheep around the hillside. And so God had to figure out a way to get David some training so he could come to the kingship and be prepared. And he took one gift that David had, his gift of music, and he parlayed that gift of music into an opportunity for David to have free training from the man he was going to replace. And through that gift of music, he was brought into the kingdom. Saul trained him. David watched what was going on. He learned the protocol of the palace. And while he was serving Saul, he was learning how to be a king. And when Saul finally passed over the scene, David just moved without hardly even shifting gears right into the place where he had been protected and where he'd been trained. It seems to me that that's true in all of our lives. God prepares us to lead by teaching us to serve. And if you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to learn how to be a server. If you're going to have others in submission to you, you need to learn how to be in submission to others. One of the reasons why in the college Uh, We think it's good to learn how to be in submission because if you can't be in submission in the college setting How are you ever going to be a leader out in the future someplace? You learn how to lead by learning how to serve So as God uses you with whatever gift he may have chosen in your life as a teacher or as a musician or in some other fashion while you're exercising that gift God may be using your service to train you up so that someday you can be a leader Don't rebel against the process. It's God's only way. And you know what God does? He puts us sometimes in obscure places where we wonder if there's any advantage to just doing our best every day. And then when we do, the Bible says he finds out who's faithful and he promotes them. 
uh, faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many, says the Scripture. So you may be in one of those places. Maybe you're a bivocational pastor, and you wonder if anybody cares. Hardly anyone comes because there's nobody to come to your church. But every week you prepare and you work hard and you go and you speak to those 40 or 50 people and you think, is God really listening? Does he know what I'm doing? And I promise you he does. He's taking notes. (laughs) And uh, you be faithful, whatever it is. Faithful in little things gets you opportunity to be faithful in bigger things. Tomorrow we're going to go to the main event because tomorrow is the beginning of the story of David and Goliath. The main story in this whole thing starts tomorrow here on the Friday edition of Turning Point, and you don't want to miss it. I'll see you then. I'm David Jeremiah. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is helping you to grow your faith, please share it with us by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO Sawasan Delta BC V4L2M4 Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca/radio or calling 800-946-4300 Ask for your copy of The Focus Life a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book yours for a gift of any amount You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here?, he examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide, and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. A missionary was walking about at a religious festival in Brazil, going from booth to booth to examine the local wares. Above one booth was a sign that read, Cheap Crosses. And he thought to himself, Too many Christians have forgotten just how costly the cross of Christ actually was. The cost of the cross was put into perspective by the hymn writer Isaac Watts when he wrote, 
Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Christ gave his soul, his life, his all, by coming to earth to die on the cross, and our response demands nothing less. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the cost of God's cross on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.